uh, on a very different topic, I want to talk to you a little bit about death today. Um, a guy named Ernest Becker wrote a book that he won a Pulitzer Prize for this book. The book was called Denial of Death. It came out in 1974, the very same year that Becker dies. But he wrote this book, and his central thesis of his life and his work and this book uh, was expressed really well with this. Let me, let me read it to you. He says this in the book, we arrange our lives, we human beings, around ignoring or avoiding or suppressing the most irrefutable fact in the whole world, which is, I'm going to die. So he's saying, and this is the, the focus of his work, we are trying to ignore or suppress or just, we, we can't really wrap our minds around, we don't even like to think about the fact that inevitably you will die. We're all going to die. It's that, that's, a, that's a guarantee in life, and we'll do anything we can to avoid even thinking about it, talking about it, whispering about it. Um, we, we, we ignore it. We, we try not to pretend it's true. In fact, they've developed these things kind of worldwide. I was actually talking to a friend in Amsterdam when I first learned about this. And they have this thing called the Death Cafe. And they have them in Amsterdam. They have them actually all over the world. There's some here in Richmond as well where people get together uh, one evening at the Death Cafe and, the, and they talk about death. When I, when I first heard Death Cafe... In Richmond, I thought that was like a, a, a 1 a.m. sort of radio show on the Richmond Alternative Rock Station, you know. I'm like, they probably have a show called Death Cafe that runs at 1, you know. But no, it's actually people getting together, talking about death, because they concluded, this international movement around Death Cafe, they concluded that uh, in our culture, outside of a church, there isn't really a place for people to discuss death. We, don't, we just don't talk about it a, a lot. Instead of talking about, thinking about, dealing with death, I think in America we just get very busy instead. We get very busy with lots of things. You get busy in school when you're a kid because you're not thinking about death. You're in school. You're kind of building your life. So you're getting the grades and they're dangling that carrot and you pursue after that thing. And then you go to college and you're getting a degree because they say you're going to get a job after that if the job market's good. So you're working on that. You're not thinking about death. It's college. You're trying to get the grades. You're trying to live and do your thing. And then maybe there's grad school and all of the homework that goes along with that if you do grad school and you're thinking about, all right, I'm going to get on this career path. You're not thinking about death. And then you get out of school and you're pursuing love interests and when you're feeling romantic and you're trying to find someone you're going to marry someone or whatever you're not thinking about death at that point you're thinking about love and falling in love and then getting married and you're planning weddings and you're not you don't think about death there either really a lot and then you buy that house you're not thinking about death you're building a career in your office and your job and in, in the workforce and you're trying to build something and make something better and and death is far from your mind in that in that situation because you're trying to bring life to something and really build something and then you if you have children children, you don't think about death a lot with kids either because they're life-giving and there's energy and you think about birth and rebirth and, and sort of the newness of life and all that kind of stuff. And then your kids move out of your house eventually and they have kids They have kids, and then you think about retirement and you save for retirement and you plan and you're working on that because you don't want to be a burden on anyone when the truth is you just don't want to have to rely on anyone in, in your old age. So you go, all right, let me make sure I'm planning for that and preparing for that really well. And you hit retirement, you're doing that thing, and you're visiting the grandkids and maybe you're going on vacation or maybe whatever you're doing they're in retirement and you're not thinking about death much at all until your body starts to break down. People that you know are starting to die around you and, and somewhere, maybe in the last five years of your life, maybe in the last 10, somewhere around there you start thinking, oh, this thing's going to end for me too. Like at some point this is going to end. And maybe you're in a lot of pain and maybe death sounds like a welcome relief from the pain that you're in. Maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's relational pain, whatever. Uh, or, or maybe you're sad about that. You're thinking like, man, I've got so much I want to do. There's so many people I want to see uh, that, that you're, you're sad about the idea of death. But I think generally in our culture, there's enough carrots out there. There's enough things dangling in front of us. There's enough of the next thing that we need to do that we just don't think about death a whole lot. 
And, and I think that's a problem because what we've talked about over these last five weeks, it's inevitable. We will die and there's, there's a future. The, what I've tried to communicate the last four weeks of this series is this. Number one, your life is eternal. Your life is eternal. You are, going to, you are meant to live eternally, not just to be born and die and that's the end of you. You're going to live on forever somewhere. Um, and, and we need to think about the reality of that. There is a life beyond, you know, Naples, Florida, where we're just waiting to die or something like that. Uh, average life expectancy in America is like 78.3 years or something. But we know that that's just the warm-up. This life is just warm-up. This life is just practice, man. It's not, it's not the, the, the end game or the long thing. So number one, life is eternal. Number two, heaven is real. That there is a place that God has prepared for his creation for us where we will go one day. Those of us who desire and who are in a relationship with God, we will go to heaven. We will know him. We will be known there. We will be in relationship with others. It's a new physical creation. It's an incredible place. There will be lots of people there at, this, at the table. It's going to be a place where God wipes away every tear and all the sorrow and all the pain is removed. And when I hear of a place where there's no more pain or sorrow or tears, I'm like, sign me up. That sounds amazing. So number one, life is eternal. Number two, heaven is real. Number three, hell is real also. There is also going to be a place where people will be separated from God, where people who do not desire to be in a relationship will not be in relationship with God. People who do not pursue after God in this life have no desire to know God. There are people that want to know heaven, that they want to be like, oh, I want to go to the good place. I want to go to the the nice place. But they don't actually desire the God behind all of that and to be in a relationship with him. And so there is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, do I believe that hell, we talked about this last week, go back and listen to the whole sermon on hell if you want, but do I believe that hell is a literal fire and brimstone kind of idea? No, I don't think so, um, which to a lot of people that's a relief. Oh, you don't believe in like we're all just going to burn like a fire. Like, No, I don't think it's literal like that. I think it's way worse than that actually. I think the, the, the idea of being separated from the love of all love and especially the love of our creator for eternity is going to be worse than, than, than fire. And so it's a, it's a real thing and, and we need to we need to really consider what that means for our lives. So, so how do you respond to that? If those things are true, how should we live now? And that's an important question because what you believe about your ultimate future, where you think this whole thing is going, actually affects how you live your life now. Uh, so for example, if, if you think that when you die, nothing happens, if you think this life is all you get and then it's over and then you're just food for worms, if you just, I evolved, I'm just from the dust, I'm going to go back to dust and there's nothing else. Uh, well, there are some logical conclusions you could draw from that about the way you should live your life now. If this, if this world is going nowhere, if, you're, if nothing happens after you die, then right now, things like marriage is super important. Things about like finding the one and, things, and, even, and even having kids and making sure that your kids are everything that you want them to be because this is all you've got and they, they better be right and you better be with the right person because life is short and you better get it right here and now if this is all there is. It puts a lot of pressure on those kind of relationships to be everything you want them to be. If, if when you die, nothing else happens, you might as well make as much money as you can and live in as much luxury as you can here and now. You might as well get as comfortable as you can get, make as much, just pursue it, get after it. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, so the old philosophical idea goes. Um, that is actually a logical conclusion if, you're, if, if you really believe that when you die, nothing else happens. Or if you believe that you die, nothing happens, there's no judgment, you might as well treat people however you want to treat them. I mean, in a very Darwinian way, 
The strong should eat the weak, man. Use people if you need to. There, there's not a, 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 that's actually a logical conclusion if you believe that this isn't going anywhere. There's no ultimate judgment for how you live your life. Just do what you need to do. Use people how you need to use them to meet your ends. Now, I know some people are going to say, oh, we have, you know, you should be nice. You should be good. We have social contracts, that kind of thing. But it, those things don't necessarily logically follow from the fact that we have nothing going after we die. So we need to consider what does our worldview uh, say to how we live our lives here and now. Now, here's the truth. Most people don't live this way. Most people don't think it through. They don't think, I'm going to die, there's nothing after death, therefore I can do whatever the heck I want. We don't think that way, typically. Um, we, we don't necessarily live sort of logically consistent with that worldview. Most people still think, even though there's nothing, maybe there's no judgment, there's no heaven, there's no hell, most people still think, well, I should probably be nice to people because, because I should just be nice and we should be good. And um, Most people don't look into the abyss of, of their lives, a, a lack of meaning, a lack of purpose, a lack of hope. They don't look into all the heart of that um, and, and, and get depressed. What we do is we find meaning anywhere we can. We find purpose anywhere we can. We go, I don't know what life's about. I'm going to save the planet. I want to save the animals. I want to help people. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to, you know, eat kale. I'm going to, you know, eat certain foods or not eat certain. This is what life's about. This is the most important thing in life, this is, where, this is where people will go. They will look for meaning anywhere and everywhere except in God. So if heaven and hell is real and there is a judgment and there is life eternal, um, how should we then live here and now? Um, I want to tell you about three guys who knew Jesus and, and what they say about it. The first one's a guy named Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he was a leader in the early church. And Peter walked with Jesus, lived with him in, in Galilee and Jerusalem around that area, and then Peter eventually finds himself in Rome where he'll die in about the year 64 A.D. And, and around 60 A.D., Peter writes two letters that are recorded in the New Testament. We call them the book of First and Second Peter, but they're letters he wrote. And this is an old man nearing the end of his life. And, and Peter tells us some things about, you know, before we die, he tells us about how we live here and now. And the first thing he tells us is, is to live with hope. We should live with hope. Listen to how he starts his letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, man, thank God. Here's what God has done. Here's God's work. He has given us a living hope because of the resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus, my friend Jesus, I mean, Peter was tight with Jesus. My friend Jesus died. I saw him die. He came back from the dead. I had lunch with him later after he died. He came back from the dead. And because he's alive and, and defeated death, I now know and I have hope that when I die, I will come back from the dead also. That was unusual. That's unusual in our day to think that you live beyond death. It was also unusual in Peter's day. And because he had that, he said, God has caused us to have this living hope that we believe in the hope of the resurrection. Now that sounds nice in church, in an air-conditioned church with at least 50% comfortable seats on a Sunday morning. That sounds nice. Oh, we have hope. We have a hope of a resurrection. We're going to live beyond death. That sounds great. But I want to tell you, it's highly, highly relevant and practical, especially when you've lost someone. If you're a parent that's lost a child and you're facing the pain of that, the resurrection matters to you. The yearning that kicks up in your soul, 
the, the desire for heaven, the desire to be reunited with someone that you've lost. It's powerful and it's necessary to, to be someone who lives with hope in those situations. I found a quote from Anna Marquez. Anna uh, lost her daughter in the Sandy Hook shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, which will be five years ago this December. And I saw something she recently wrote. Anna's a believer, and listen to what she says. As believers, we know that Sunday is coming. As humans, we know that Friday was dark. It is okay to mourn the Friday while believing in Sunday. What's she talking about? She's talking about that Jesus died on the cross on a Friday, but he came back from the dead on Sunday. And if you're a guy like Peter and you walk with Jesus, you see Jesus die on the cross and you think that is the end. You think that is game over. You think that is the end of everything you've hoped and dreamed for. Your life was following this guy. He was going to take you to the promised land and the Romans just kill this guy on a cross brutally in front of everybody on a Friday. And things look dark. All of your dreams and hopes come crashing down. And you wake up Saturday morning and it's not any better. You wake up Saturday morning, he's still dead. There's still no hope. It's the end. You start thinking about what do I do now and where am I going to go? How is this even going to work? And then Sunday morning comes and they find out that Jesus is not dead anymore, that he's alive again. And Peter is the guy who runs to the tomb to see if Jesus is gone. And what does Anna Marquez say to us? Look, it's okay to mourn Friday. It was a dark time. But we have hope. We actually have a living hope for Sunday. We know there's a resurrection. And I think a lot of our lives are spent on Saturday. I think a lot of our lives are just spent in that space where you go, it's not here yet, and it's, it's darkness. I'm, I, there's darkness around. And I have hope that something's coming, but I, I haven't reached it yet. And a lot of life is, is just spent in that space. And so we can mourn as believers. We can mourn Friday, but we can still believe in Sunday. I felt that again this week, as, as probably many of you did, as, as I looked at what happened in Las Vegas last Sunday night. And, um, man, it's just some dark stuff. And I, I, uh, I saw a video clip of, of the events online, um, and I wish I hadn't. I, I wish I hadn't seen that. I wish I hadn't heard that. It sticks with me. Um, it's the kind of thing you can't unsee or unhear. And, and because we all grieve, because... We all feel it, and we can all imagine that scene. Um, we look for an answer. That's a very normal thing to do. We, we want to resolve this thing, and so we talk about gun control, and we talk about mental illness, and everybody rolls out some sort of hot take about what happened, and then conspiracy theories come out and all of this stuff because we're all searching for something. And I don't have a hot take for you. Um, my mind in these situations always goes to the undeniable reality of evil. I can prove the existence of evil easier than I could prove the existence of good, I think. The undeniable reality of the existence of evil is where I go, and I go to the hope of resurrection and the hope that God will deal with things. That the shooter didn't do what he did and then nothing else happens, he's gone and that's the end. I believe this shooter will stand in judgment before God for what he's done, and God will judge him uh, and, and will, will hand out justice to, to that guy for what he's done, and God will judge that person's life. I believe that people who lost loved ones in Las Vegas may have the opportunity to be reunited with them in eternity in a place of no more pain and no more sorrow. I, I cling to that hope 
now. I cling to that hope this week, that that is true and that is real and that is actually the way the world works. And if you think that death is the end, you don't have that hope. You just, it's just tragic, the shooter got away with it and we're done. But I choose in this situation hope. We choose hope. Because God has built a bridge for us to be with him eternally, we choose hope. Because even though we live in a world where things aren't right and there's brokenness and it's a mess, personally, globally, as a nation, whatever, uh, even though we're in the midst of all that stuff, we know that God has, has a plan and that God deals with people and that God is just and that God loves us. And so in the midst of even that hard stuff, we choose hope. We choose hope because we've been told by God that he's preparing a place for us, and that this world is not meant to be our home. We don't place our hope in this city, in Richmond. We don't place our hope in this country, in America. We don't place our hope in this world getting it right. And that's what concerns me a little bit when I see people cling to and idolize, especially in the church, politicians, and believe that politicians are going to deliver. They're going to come riding in on a white horse to save us. And I'm thinking, like, we already have someone who rides in on a white horse. Literally, he does that in the book of Revelation. Like, Jesus does that. Why are we looking for someone else to do it? Why do we, we vote for a president who promises to make America great again? And we go, oh, this is going to be it. They're going to make it. This is going to be amazing. It's, it's, wow, can't wait. Hey, look, I want America to be better than it is. Totally. There's work to be done, racism, poverty. There's things that need to get done here, for sure. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get involved. Let's do what we can. But my hope is not placed on any one of them getting it right. Not this president, not the one before, not the one before that. They all say that hope and change and, 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 and making things great and all that. They all promise that stuff. That's not where our hope is. Peter, in his letter, he refers to Christians as exiles. Who are exiles? There are people who are citizens not of the country that they're in. There are people who are stuck there, who live there for a while, but that's not their true home. And if you're a follower of Christ, your true home is not here and is not in any place, whatever the place is, getting it right. It's with God and, and, with, and, and living for eternity. We can't put all of our eggs in the American basket. It is a pretty shiny basket, but it, it still won't last. So we live with hope placing our hope in God. Number two, we live with urgency. Another guy that was close to Jesus is his brother, a guy named James. And I read to you what James wrote a couple weeks ago. I want to read it again. Listen to this from James chapter four. He says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James reminds us to live with urgency because life is short. Life is a myth. This life is just a warm-up. Eternity is long, but this life is really short. If we get 78.3 years on earth, in America, that's, I guess if that's the average, and I hear that number is actually going down now, so if, if, if we get that, I had this thought the other day that I'm over halfway done. And maybe I won't live five more years. I don't know. But if I get the average, I'm over halfway done. And there's so much to do yet. I still think about things that I have yet to do. And, and I don't, I'm not talking about a bucket list. I, I'm not sitting here thinking like, I've never jumped out of an airplane. Uh, I saw Will Smith do it and it looked awesome, you know. I, I don't think like, 
I've never seen the African lions run across the Serengeti Plain. I've never stood in front of the Sydney Opera House. Like, I, I'm not thinking about that. I'm, I'm thinking about life is short, there's an urgency here, and there are relationships that I still want to cultivate. I still want to pour more into my kids. I still want to pour more into this church and into you guys. I, I still want to talk to my family members about God. Um, I still have family and friends that, that, don't, that don't know him, that don't know God, that don't care. And I don't know why people turn away from God and they have no interest in following him. I have theories. I mean, some people have daddy issues. They don't like their dad. So when you say God's a heavenly father, they're like, not interested in that. I get it. Maybe someone doesn't love God because they had a really cool professor who made fun of religion. Yeah, that sounds good. Maybe someone doesn't love God because they actually saw the one meme on the internet that convinced somebody of something. And they were like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, God's stupid. All religions cause wars. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Or whatever. Like, we all have reasons. And I'm not saying they're all illegitimate. Like, maybe you prayed and God did not answer your prayer. And you're like, if this is what it is, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in make-believe stuff that's supposed to make me feel better or whatever. If that's it, I'm not interested. There are reasons why people don't pursue after God, and I can't overcome them. I can't make it right for you. I can't make you fall in love with God. But what, what I said before is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, it's not our job as followers of Jesus to make other people fall in love with Jesus, but it is our job to arrange a date can we at least say, hey, let me, let me, you need to meet my friend Jesus? Like, can we at least just come to my church? Like, come hang out. Let, let, let's talk. Um, I, I, I want you to know God because he's real. Let's meet and, and have coffee. We need to have an urgency about that. Who do you know right now that isn't following God at work, in your family? And can you give them a call? Maybe this is the week you call mom. Maybe call your dad. Call your brother, call your cousin, get together with a coworker, get together with an old friend here in town and say, look, let me just tell you about God, like what I know, what I've understood. You don't have to do that in an arrogant way. I'm better than you. You're not better than anybody. The only thing you're better than is who you used to be. Maybe you get together in a humble way. You pray, you speak with tact, and you say, this is what God has done for me, and I want him to know you. I want you to know him as well. Why don't you come with me to church? Because a lot of people say, oh, Chris, you know, like, you're really good at saying that stuff. Why don't, if I just bring people here, then they're going to hear you say it, and maybe that'll be, like, convincing all that. Like, maybe. But here's the reality. Your friends will be changed, and God may melt their hearts when you're changed, when your life is different, when you actually live with hope, when you actually don't give in to despair, when you actually live with urgency and purpose and meaning, when you are living that way and people see it, that makes the difference. Not what some guy says on a stage somewhere. They want to see, your friends want to see you and see what difference does this actually make to you because they can tell if it makes no difference to you at all. So who do you need to talk to this week? Now I know it can be awkward. You're sitting there thinking, oh man, if I talk to my dad about this, he'll get so weird about it and I just know what he's going to say and it's always the same thing. And right, I, I, I get it. It could be, it could be awkward. Um, but don't let the awkward stop you. Speak up. Live with urgency about why we're here. And then finally this, live with purpose. Another guy that knew Jesus was a guy named Paul, and Paul goes on to, to write a lot of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of letters because he planted a lot of churches, and he wrote follow-up letters to those churches. He planted churches around the Mediterranean. 
And Paul says to a young preacher, Paul is an old man, also dies in Rome in the 60s. And he writes a letter to a younger preacher named Timothy. And listen to what he tells Timothy. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, oh man, I, I can see the end of the road here. I can see where this is going. The light is coming on at the end of the tunnel, like I'm, I am walking towards the light, man. And I, and I know where this goes. I, I, I followed God. I've left it all on the field. I've given my all to him. And God's going to reward me. And not just me, he's going to reward all of us who follow after him. Paul has a certainty there. And I bet he got more and more certain the older and the older he got. It, 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 it solidified in him. God is real. Eternity is real. We have hope. We have urgency. We have a purpose. And Paul's purpose is to pour himself out so that others could, could know him, that could know God. Do, do you see his purpose and clarity? And let me ask you this. Do you have purpose and clarity and meaning? How many of us, if push comes to shove, would say that life is about pursuing happiness? Life is about sex. It's about money. It's about power. It's about getting what you want. It's about being nice. It's about so many things. We would, we would say, if, if, if really pressed on it, oh yeah, this is what life's about. It's about freedom. It's about being able to do my own thing. It's about being able to do what I want when I want. We'll talk all about that next Sunday. How many of us would say that? It's what life is about. I think there's this thing inside of us that is asking about that and trying to figure it out. I think when there's nothing left to watch on Netflix and when you put your phone down for a second and you lay in bed Assuming you don't have your phone in your bed, we'll talk about that in about a month. But uh, you lay in bed and you look up at that ceiling and you know in that moment, you know there's something missing here. I was made for something. And I'm just going through the motions. I'm just existing. I'm just repeat day after day. And, and there's something bigger in all of this. And if you're a follower of Christ, of all people, you should know that you're, you're supposed to go to heaven when you die and you're supposed to spend your time here bringing as many people with you as you can. That's your purpose. Let me tell you about my uncle Terry and Aunt Amy. They're actually my wife's aunt and uncle. Terry and Amy are in their mid-60s. They used to be on staff at a megachurch outside of Louisville, Kentucky, which is a very comfortable way to live in a lot of ways. Uh, they had a good thing going there. But their hearts were to see people in the world know Jesus. And so they moved to Ghana several years ago. And they've been living in Ghana. And if you know Ghana, southern Ghana is quite Christian. The, the, the capital city and the areas around very Christian. They moved to northern Ghana, which is extremely Muslim. And they started telling people about Jesus in the northern part of Ghana. And just in 2017, Terry and Amy have seen 150 discipleship groups start of people coming to learn about Jesus and 845 people baptized this year in northern Ghana. It's incredible, the work that God is doing through Amy and Terry. It has also not been easy on them. Both of them have, have had some significant health challenges, uh, cancer, diabetes, all sorts of stuff. They've been dealing with some stuff. 
Um, they, one of them was held up at knife point, and they've suffered some P- PTSD. They've had their place broken into. They're back in the U.S. right now healing up with some health things. Their desire is to get back to Ghana by Christmas and, and get back to the work that's there. Now, to Amy and Terry, they have kids. Uh, maybe one day they'll have grandkids. Um, and so they could easily mail it in. They could they could get into a retirement community in the Carolinas. They could see their grandkids every now and then. They could probably get a little motorboat. They could go out. They could, like, collect seashells. They could uh, play bridge with friends. And they could just wait till the light goes out on, on their life and just and call it a day. And we were like, well, that's a, they had a good life. They did some good things. But their desire is to see people know God. And, and they're going to spend their days in Africa. And one day, I'm going to hear that Amy and Terry died. And my guess is they're not, going to be, they're not going to die in Indiana surrounded by people that they love. My guess is they'll die in Africa um, serving, pouring out their lives for people in Africa. And when they die, some people will look at that and they'll go, what a tragedy. They had their golden years and they squandered them over in, in this other country. They could have lived here and really enjoyed things. That's not a tragedy, guys. Can I tell you what is a tragedy? I read an article on ESPN.com. This is like from a dozen years ago. Listen to this story. I'll show you a picture of it. James Henry Smith was a zealous Pittsburgh Steelers fan in life, and even death could not keep him from his favorite spot, in a recliner in front of a TV, showing his beloved team in action. Smith, 55, of Pittsburgh, died of prostate cancer Thursday. Because his death wasn't unexpected, his family was able to plan for an unusual viewing Tuesday night. The Samuel E. Coston Funeral Home erected a small stage in a viewing room and arranged furniture on it much as it was in Smith's home on game day Sundays. Smith's body was on the recliner, his feet crossed and a remote in his hand. He wore black and gold silk pajamas, slippers and a robe. A pack of cigarettes and a beer were at his side while a high-definition TV played a continuous loop of Steelers highlights. I couldn't stop crying after looking at the Steeler blanket in his lap, said his sister, Marianne Nails, 58. He loved football, and nobody did anything until the game went off. It was just like he was at home. Longtime friend Mary Jones called the viewing a celebration. I saw it, and I couldn't even cry, she said. People will see him the way he was. Smith's burial plans were more traditional. He will be laid to rest in a casket. That's a tragedy. Tragic is not pouring out your life in Ghana for people who don't know God and to to know them. Tragedy is making your life about your NFL team. And look, I like watching NFL. And I've got my team, and I'll cheer, and I'll yell at the TV, and all of that. I might even put a shirt on. But if my kids grow up in my home, and they say about me when I die, man, Dad was all about football. That is... A wasted life. That's tragic. I will have totally missed the point of what life is really about. Think about, think about this for a second. Your own funeral. Think about your funeral. It's not something we ever think about, right? Who's going to be there when you die? And what are they going to say? I'm guessing at your funeral there will be tears. There will be people who miss you. There'll be laughter. People tell jokes about how you used to be. And they'll say, oh, she would have wanted it this way or dad was this way. And he's, they'll say those things. But the reality is the script of what comes out of their mouth in that moment, you are writing with your life right now. 
how you behave right now, what you pour your life into, people will see that, and that's what they'll talk about when you're gone. So, so what are you doing? What purpose does your life uh, exude? What, what can people pick up on, on that your life was all about? But even more so than what they say at your funeral, on that day when people are gathered around talking at your funeral, my guess is you're going to be standing in that moment before God. And are we really going to get to the judgment of God and stand before him and say, God, uh, I really didn't have any desire to know you in life. I didn't pursue you. I wasn't following after you. But man, I have such a good sports memorabilia collection. Have you seen it? Like, check it out. Did you see the black and gold pajamas? They're awesome. God, I didn't want to know you. I didn't want to know your people. In fact, I made fun of religion and, 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 and people like that. But my 401k was awesome. Did you see how much money I was able to pack away? God, isn't that awesome? God, I didn't know you, but, uh, and I didn't really want to know you, and, and, and eventually I had time, but you know, really what I wanted to do was to like, be on my boat in, in, in Florida, and I wanted to like, collect seashells. Have you seen my seashell collection? It's so good. That's tragic, that we would stand before God and have missed the point of what we're here for. Don't miss it. Don't waste the one life that you have. Live with purpose. Live with with urgency, and live with hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your son has made a way that we can be with you, that heaven is real, that hell is real, but you have made a bridge for us to be with you, um, our, our creator. And, and God, I pray everyone in this room is going to be there um, on our death and that we'll be able to celebrate together in that big party. And God, for those, of you, for those in the room who don't know you, I pray that, that today is a turning point, that they will get on the road and, and on the journey and pursue after you, um, that we will all consider what life is about and what we make it about and, and how our lives, the way we live our lives, um, really show what we think matters. God, uh, I pray that we don't settle for things that don't really matter at all. Um, but that we, we stay focused on the main thing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.